We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, and tonight uh, I'll have a chat with Craig Hope, uh, who reports on Newcastle United and Northeast football, amongst other things for the Daily Mail. Uh, Craig's one of the best football reporters in the Northeast, and I would advise everyone to give him a follow on Twitter, which we will put in the description of the podcast. Uh, so, without further ado, here's my chat with Craig. So, Craig, uh, first thing I'll probably ask you is no wins in five for Newcastle. Are Newcastle in danger of being relegated, in your opinion, this season? Yes. It's a fairly straightforward answer. Of course they are. You've got to. You look at that squad. Uh, and Rafa warned at the start of the season, before sorry, before September the first, that it wouldn't be good enough to survive comfortably, or at least compete in the, the top half of the table without significant investment, especially in key areas. And that investment never came. So by virtue of the fact that it, it never came, then there are no relegation fight. Rafa said there would be. He's made reference uh, of that since. And you've just got to look at results. You said there yourself, Alex, no wins in five. Well, teams who, who pick up one point out of 15 are in a relegation scrap. Of course they are. You're just grateful, really, for the points they got. At the start of the season, there was three victories uh, against Stoke, uh, Palace and, and West Ham. And Swansea, of course, away the three victories on the spin there. So you are glad they've got those points in the bag because on current form, this team is 100% in a relegation fight. Uh, you can make the argument now the presence of Rafa Benitez will that be enough to keep them up that is the 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 argument I'm sort of hanging on at the moment that that Rafa in terms of his organisation his motivation there's a degree of trust there there's a degree of trust we didn't have with Steve McLaren now Steve McLaren had better players and still got them relegated because Steve McLaren was for want of a better word an idiot but Rafa Benitez isn't an idiot he knows what he's doing you've got to trust him you've got to keep that faith for now but yeah, it is worrying, and I think there will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season because there won't be significant investment in January takeover or no takeover. Rafa's already said that. So come May, uh, yeah, there will be there or thereabouts. Let's just hope on that final week of the season they're the right side of the line rather than the wrong side. Pre Burnley and after Palace were sixth. Mm. Do you feel that? I don't know. Do you think any of the players maybe bought the hype a little bit about the because the performances were so after your Burnley? Your Watford, your Man United, do you think maybe there was a little bit of complacency set in, or is it just the way the fixtures have fallen? Well, you know, if you look at the way the fixtures have fallen, well, you can't argue that because they've lost against Bournemouth and they've, they've lost against Watford, so they, 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 they were in difficult fixtures. Uh, they've lost against Burnley, that wasn't a, a difficult match. But the one thing what, what worried me was <coughs> I can accept the Burnley defeat. The Burnley defeat for an hour was everything Newcastle had been during the season until that point. Ugly, horrible, hard to break down, not pretty to watch. 
But then in the final half hour, whatever it was, the game is decided. It bounces one way or the other, one nil win and one nil defeat. You can take that because with that, you're going to win one, you're going to lose one, you're going to draw one. Four points out of nine probably does keep you up. But the Watford game, I couldn't accept the Watford game because it was so unraffer-like that it was worrying. It was dishevelled. It was, it was players looking as if they weren't really putting it in. Players looking as if they didn't really know what they were doing. Uh, no shape, no organisation, no discipline. In that game, they, were ev- they, they weren't everything which they had been during the, the opening sort of two or three months of the season. So that Watford match for me was a, was a huge worry. Uh, they steadied the ship a little bit at West Brom, a little bit. I mean, the, the, the first hour was, was, was disa- it, it was ugly, then it was disastrous, all, all in one really, and they managed to sort of salvage a point. Uh, Chelsea have almost got to, to write off to a certain degree. Uh, has complacency crept in? I just think a lack of ability really has, has, has caught up in the shortcomings in the squad, which Rafa warned about. It's catching up with them now, and this is why we're, we're seeing this awful run, which sort of threatens to to plunge them into the relegation zone quicker than we ever really thought possible after that, that victory against Palace. Why do you think he changed things so dramatically after the Burnley game? Because like you said, the Burnley game it was, mm. wasn't was a great watch, but it could have gone either way. You know, nil-nil probably would have been a fair mm. result. And then for Bournemouth, he brings Dwight Gale back, which mm. people like me delighted for, because I really rate Dwight Gale's a good player. But we kind of start playing this hybrid 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1. Do you think after that Burnley game, he, he himself, Raph himself, thought, you know what, we're just not going to score enough here? And if he, if he did think that, has it backfired? Mm. Well, it has, yeah, because he almost lost faith in himself a little bit because we talked to him a lot off the record and up until that Burnley game, the criticism was there. Uh, I think after the Burnley game, I think it was, it was Carragher, was it on Sky, accused him of being boring. Uh, one, one of the pundits said, when we next saw Rafa, he defended himself against that and he said, listen guys, I'm working with what I've got. If it's 4-2-3-1 with Perez working hard and we're trying to be behind Hossolu and it's nil and after an hour, then so be it, I'm going to stick to that. So I couldn't believe it when he came out against Bournemouth with the, as you call it, the, the hybrid 4-4-2. It was almost as if he'd, he'd listened to the, 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 the pundits, he'd listened to the criticism uh, and he'd listened to a section of supporters who were calling for, for Dwight Gale to be introduced and I was surprised at the team selection. Now, the first half against Bournemouth was fantastic, and you thought, bloody hell, Rafa, you should have done this from the start of the season. You could have been fifth, never mind sixth. But then it all fell to pieces in the second half, didn't it? I mean, that, that second half performance against Bournemouth was a, a warning. It was a forewarning of what happened against Watford, basically. The, 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 the second half against Bournemouth ran into the, the 90 against Watford, really. So I was surprised he changed. I was surprised he went away from what he trusted so much and what had worked. In, you say that he done it to chase goals. Well, they scored what was it one goal in, in six hours with the, the two men up front. So so no, it didn't really work, and it did backfire absolutely. You just mentioned that he talks a lot off the record. How has he been in, in this run? Has he changed in, in in terms of the way he speaks to the press or in his demeanour? I imagine he's not going to be delighted or as happy as he was start mm. of the season. But how has he been? Maybe with all the take takeover speculation, do you think it's affected him in the way that he's dealt with the press? Uh the one thing about Rafa is uh, post matches he changes post match. He can be a little bit spiky sometimes. He, he very rarely gets elated, uh, but he can be a little bit spiky or a little bit clipped, in which you saw after the, the Chelsea game he was, for example, on Saturday. But come pre-match, he's back to his normal self. He's positive. Uh, he's normally got a message to deliver. Uh, he, he never gets sort of dragged into little battles with reporters or holds any grudges or anything like that. He's always fair, he's always level-headed. You can see why players trust in him. I like him personally, I, I deal with him what, 
two or three times a week we sit down with him and see him uh, and I like him I do I like him a lot I think he's a I think he's a smart man I can see why players like him I can see why players respond to him uh, but yeah to answer your question over the past two or three weeks his mood has got he's, for example to, 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 to give you to capture it all in one is the Alexander Mitrovic debate now <laughs> Rafa will tell us on the record, off the record, repeatedly, listen, supporters have got to trust me. I see Alexander Mitrovic every day in training. I'm picking him because I see more than you guys do, basically. So every reporter writes Mitrovic on a start, every fan on a radio phone or on, a, on a, a podcast or on a forum, Mitrovic must start. Why is he playing possibly Mitrovic is better? This has really gotten to Rafa's skin, this, this, uh, this one topic. So uh, he doesn't think Mitrovic is good enough to start ahead of, ahead of Hoslu or Dwight Gill or even Ayoji Perez. So... Uh, yeah, he has got prickly over one or two little issues, but still, come when it comes to, to previewing a game, he's back to his normal sort of level, uh, level-headed, cool self. Do you think? I mean, certainly, everyone listening to this knows that we we haven't been calling for Alexander Mitrovic to start, but you're mm. right that the particularly the online Newcastle world, mm. you, know, you know what? Even in the away end at West Brom, even on the terraces or the, the seats against Watford, that vocal minority is so vocal about his inclusion. Yeah. Would you Would you agree if I was to put you that maybe on Saturday? when Mitrovic come on against West Brom he didn't change the game as some fans or as, mm. as cheerleaders would say but he was alright even I can admit I didn't rate him I can admit yeah, against yeah. West Brom he was alright he come on he probably did did what he was asked to do Saturday everyone thought he would start mm. he didn't and I suppose he was proved right with Dwight Gill getting the goal but he doesn't bring him on in that situation there on Saturday is that purely the, the game situation or do you think part of that's a little bit him trying to show fans or get the message across that like you know you know what i'm in charge here i don't i don't suppose it's a you know he's, he's in a battle with these people mm. but even after even someone who criticizes mitovich as much as we have in this podcast even i found it bizarre on saturday that he didn't come on so is there a little bit of kind of trying to manage the situation creeping into substitutions and team selections sometimes a little bit but then on the flip side of that he's brought mitovich on at times and it surprised me and it's almost uh, well here you go here's your man i'm going to throw him on he does nothing and he, he, with Rafa and Mitrovic, it, it really is a funny one. Uh, he doesn't not rate them. Let me just say that. He doesn't think Alexander Mitrovic is rubbish. He just doesn't think he brings as much to the team as Hoslu or the goal scoring threat which, which Dwight Gill possesses. So uh, on Saturday, yeah, I was probably surprised that he, he didn't bring him on as well. But I think by that point, the game had gone, hadn't it? Uh, I don't think Alexander Mitrovic is going to come on against Chelsea and, and sort of and change everything. So. Uh, it is a, a strange situation, the relationship between Rafa, supporters and Mitrovic. I don't think it's got a happy end and I think ultimately it will end with Mitrovic leaving the club, be that in January, if Rafa can bring in a replacement or, or if not, certainly this summer. Do you think, from what you've seen or what you've heard, is, do Rafa and Mitrovic have any kind of relationship? I wouldn't say they haven't got a bad relationship. There's no, there's no hatred there. There's been no fallout. There's been no, no bust up. I just don't think he trusts him as much as he trusts Hostelou to, to run about uh, and win flick-ons. I mean, we're, we're setting the bar pretty low here. <laughs> you know, that is essentially what Hostelou was in the team to do, to occupy defenders and to, to flick the ball on. We've seen that he's, he's not really there to score goals, is he? I think I've, I've written the paper twice recently that uh, you know five million was supposed to be sort of shopping in the bargain basement it actually looks as if Newcastle have overpaid uh, 5 million for, for, for Hosselu uh, I really think he's been struggling I think taking him out of the team finally was, was long overdue uh, he looks short on confidence he looks uh, he always looks tired for me he's a player who starts a game 
and he, he looks knackered almost after after five minutes. I don't think he brings as much as Rafa says he does. Does he bring more than Mitrovic? Well, Rafa thinks he does, and he, you've got to trust that. But very interesting, Craig. I suppose the same question could apply to the relationship between. John Joe Shelby and Rafa Benitez. He hasn't started the last two games. It was mm. rubbish against Watford, but so was everybody. Mm. Um, a lot of people were really surprised, really surprised to see Mo Diame mm. selected ahead of John Joe Shelby um, on Saturday. You know, through the week he played Marino and Hayden, and kind of as a funny thing, well, you know what, we're trying to be solid. West Brom, mm. Gareth Barry and Jake Livermore, two physical blokes. On Saturday, do you have an insight to why Mo Diame seems to be trusted for these big games? Not yet. It'll be a question we ask Rafa when we see him on, on Friday, absolutely. I fully expected uh, John Joe to come back in after the influence he had during that final half hour against West Brom where he was picking passes. He was, he made such a difference uh, when he came on for me. We said there Mitrovic made the difference for me. It was Shelby yeah. who came on and, and sort of forced Newcastle forward. Uh, I couldn't believe he didn't start on Saturday. I don't know. Like I said, we haven't seen Rafa since, so there might have been a, a, a niggle there that there might have been an illness. We, yeah. we really don't know. Uh, if it was just purely based on selection and, uh, and form, and we've got to take it that it was, uh, then it's, it's, it's a staggering decision, it really is, because Modi Army uh, offers nothing, <laughs> very little. Uh, does he even run about as much as he perhaps used to when he, when he was at Hull? I covered Hull as well, obviously, in that final season. Uh, he was fantastic, he was brilliant in the playoff final. I, I was there that day, and I think Newcastle more or less signed him on the on the back of that performance really with the uh, with the bio clause uh, but since then he, he brings very little to the team he's got no real discipline uh, he doesn't use the ball well now John Joe Shelby has got his uh, his faults don't get me wrong but I think in terms of football ability and what he brings to the rest of the team he would be one of the first names on the team sheet for me so to see him out of the team against West Brom, I thought, okay, fair enough. Perhaps it's a, it's a kick up the backside after what was a poor performance against Watford. Uh, but I thought he had to restore him on Saturday, and we will find out in, in a couple of years' time uh, the reason for that. But f- no, but for me, John Joe Shelby would start every week. It's interesting you say that. I mean, it's kind of because we've spoken before. I know that you'd go and you'd ask Graf for that question both on mm. and off the record. Some fans, I suppose, think they're, they're all almost say on social media. Why don't you ask this? Why don't you ask that? Is it pretty much you just go to a press conference and you just have, have a look what people are interested in and try and put across the questions fans want to hear? Or is it something that you and your colleagues at the Daily Mail would mm. try and, you know, more interested in the fan opinion? To give you a bit of insight, what you've got to understand is when I go into working for a Daily Mail, a national newspaper based in London with a, a, a London desk and a national audience, I'm not necessarily going to, to get in the newspaper on a Saturday from a Friday press conference the reason why Rafa Benitez played Modi Army ahead of John Joe Shelby. I'm not going to. It's uh, with all due respect. It's a line for the Journal, for the Chronicle, for the Shields Gazette. I'm interested to know. So perhaps when we're chatting amongst ourselves afterwards, off the right order, Rafa, we'll ask him why aren't you playing Shelby? What's he done? What's he done wrong there? Just to sort of to, to build your knowledge, really, and to to keep abreast of the the club that you're covering. Uh, in the actual on the record section of the press conference, to give you an example, last uh, last Friday ahead of the Chelsea game. We had 10, 12 minutes with Rafa as the, the, the written newspapers on the record. Now, for 10 of those 12 minutes, we talked about Rafa in Chelsea. When he was at Chelsea, why did he leave? The section of supporters who turned against him. There's very few questions, actually, about the merits of 4-4-2 versus 4-2-3-1 or John Joe Shelby, Modi Army. That was just the nature of it because we're all fighting as national journalists to get our name in Saturday's paper. Uh, 
but yes, certainly you are interested and it's important that you do keep on top of these sort of more localised matters, if, if you know what I mean. That was just to give you an insight into the, the, the way that we, we, we question Rafa. Uh, afterwards, when we're off, off the record, invariably that is a time when we will go back to, to things such as Mankiel versus uh, Yedlin or, or Lascelles versus Clark, that sort of thing, when, when we will sort of get into the nitty gritty of, of team selection and get Rafa's real thinking, what he won't say on the record, and he'll explain to you why he's picking a, a certain player ahead of another one. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he, he does say on Friday with regard to that, because it was certainly a surprise. Do you think that <clears throat> Shelby, obviously there's been talk of England call-ups in England, have mm. got massive issues in central midfield, which is... Uh, you know, probably going to affect them next summer as well unless they find another solution. Do you think that Shelby has the trust of Benitez and maybe we talked about Mitter Rich when you're saying it's not a, he doesn't trust him as much as he does other players. Mm. Do you think that Shelby has, has got a long-term place in Benitez's plans because there's a little bit of a, you know, people on social media, some stuff being sent to us as a podcast, I suppose not a bad point that he's probably not as good as he thinks he is. John mm. Shelby's probably not as good as he thinks he is. He's just going off goals he doesn't create enough assists, mm-hmm. he doesn't really impact the game. I mean, we said it last season when we met Rafa and he didn't mind us telling people that he wanted John Joe Shelby to affect the game. Higher up the pitch, yeah. picking the ball up the centre-backs is all well and good and playing mm-hmm. on the wing, it looks nice, particularly in the second tier, he didn't score many goals, etc. Do you think that, do you think that Mikel Marino has almost supplanted Shelby in Rafa's plans as the man to build the team round? Rafa really likes Marino, we know that. Uh, I think he probably rates Marino higher than Shelby, but for me, he's got to try and find a way to accommodate both of them in the same team. Now, I said there before that John Joe Shelby for me would be one of the, the first names on the team sheet. I don't think John Joe Shelby's a fantastic player. When you mentioned England there, I think he's a, he's a long way off. I just think in terms of what Newcastle have and what Newcastle offers, you've got to find a way to, to get the, the most out of Shelby. Uh, the argument we had there was Shelby versus Moji Army. Well, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's no contest, isn't it? So, for me, I would try and find a way to, to accommodate Hayden, Shelby, and Marino in the same team. It's not really something which has been tried or really floated so far. Uh, that would also potentially allow for three centre backs as well. So, I think when Lascelles is fit, why not play Lascelles, Clark, and Lejeune, or, or any three from Lascelles, Clark, Lejeune, and and Mbemba as well, and drop Richie or into a wing back role or, or have Yedlin on the on the other shout that after Saturday drop Richie <laughs> well yeah it's true yeah but just drop Richie altogether after yeah. Saturday but uh, <laughs> but yeah I, I just think that, that he's trying there's this debate you see it on the Chronicle website which two midfielders are we going to play is it going to be Marino and Hayden Diarmi and Hayden Shelby and Hayden whatever it's going to be well why not try to put three of them in there just to give you a little bit more stability in the, the middle of the park why not have Hayden as the holder Shelby in front of him, as 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 Rafa wishes, been a little bit further apart, dictating things from a from a central berth in Marino, as we've seen with Spain under twenty ones. Why not put him even further again, and he's then able to influence the game with little cute passes in and around the sort of the final third of the pitch, the way the way Perez should be doing, but isn't really. Uh, now I do think I do think Perez gets a little bit of a, an unfair rap because I think the the work ethic, the the intelligence, the, the the positional understanding. When he came out of the team, I think you actually saw what he did bring. Yeah. Uh, t- to a degree, and I couldn't believe that Rafa kept him out of the team for for as long as he did. Uh, but no, for, for me, I, I would start Shelby. Uh, is he as good as he thinks he is? Well, no, he's not. But that's no bad thing. Having that sort of confidence and that that belief in yourself. There's maybe one or two in the team who who haven't got that sort of. Uh, that inner confidence so, so no, I, I would certainly start John Joe Shelby and hopefully 
perhaps try and find a way to accommodate him and Marino in the same team. You just sort of touched on it there for a brief second. Do you think Marino could play in that number 10 position? Yeah. yeah well, well, no, I don't know. We've never seen him there for Newcastle, yeah. so if I said, do I think, could he play? Well, I'm, I'm judging that on, on one or two reports and a couple of clips from, from YouTube watching him play that in Spain 21s. Uh, I would certainly give it a go. If you, you, you look at his skill set, he's, he's, a, he's a tall lad, he's confident, he plays with his head up, he sees what passes around the corner, he's got a good shot on him. Uh, I would certainly give it a go. Why not? We, we touched on it there before. They've got one point out of 15 now. It's time to, to perhaps start trying something different. Do you think that's what we saw on Saturday? No one, well, we didn't see that formation change coming when we did the preview podcast for Chelsea. Mm. None of us were saying it's going to match Chelsea's formation to a three at the back for the first time in the season. Mm. Do you think it, that is a case? Was it A, just trying to negate Chelsea? Or do you think he's now just trying anything to try and get this team some points? I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. Uh, we didn't see it coming in the, the preview with him. Uh, I've, I've never seen him really match up to a team. Rafa yeah. does what he wants to do. And, and, and has his own very game, uh, his own game plan. Uh, it didn't work clearly. It looked as if it worked for twenty minutes, and we thought, "Wow, Rafa's a genius." Quite clearly, is the way the game transpired. It, it didn't work at all. Uh, there is a little bit of and this is what worries me. There seems to be a little bit of desperation creeping in with seems team selections, with formations. It's almost like a roll of the dice, and that isn't Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez knows what he is. He knows who he is. He knows what he likes. He knows what he does. There's a, there's a consistency about him, okay, he throws in the odd curveball with, with team selection, but in terms of his game plan, the way he sets up, he trusts himself. For me, the past three or four weeks, it's almost as if he's lost trust in himself a little bit, and that is why I was worried, and that's why that, that Watford performance in particular, and the way they set up for that, really sounded alarm bells for me. It was interesting watching them on uh, Saturday. The thing that came on was either desperation or just a frustration from all of the players. Um, I think Richie giving away that penalty at the end was the best example mm. of that. Like, I don't know what was going through his mind when he kicked uh, kicked out of that player, but like, it was just just seemed like he was just frustrated. Like, why why is what we're doing not working? Mm. Um, and especially for someone like him, I think. Talk about Richie for a second. I think he's got was it five assists. He's got most assists this season. Mm. Yeah, I don't think he's played that well that makes sense like a lot of the games he doesn't like he doesn't seem as effective as he was and obviously he's not going to be as effective as he was in the championship because mm. we're playing against much better players but I, I pointed out a couple of times though he had a drop at this exact stage last season I remember when he scored against Forest which is pretty much like it was a year it was this week or next week Forest mm. last year and when he scored against Forest it was almost like there's Matt Ritchie where's he been for the last six weeks so trying to be ultra positive about it I just mm. hope he's having another one of those massive dip in forms which he had rather than not being good enough but I think some people have said he's looked like the Matt Ritchie that Bournemouth were happy to offload compared to the one yeah, we were happy to pay if, if you don't though he's the one player who Rafa doesn't drop does he ever he's the one player who he looks as if it, it, the, the cliche is the first name on the team sheet uh, and does he get tired when he does play and he's at it and he's full throttle he covers an awful lot of ground you can never accuse him of giving anything less than, than 100%. Perhaps he does get jaded. Perhaps Rafa just needs to, to manage a player like Matt Ritchie better uh, because the, the quality is there. I thought at times in the championship he was he was far and away Newcastle's best player in terms of the difference he made. I'm not sure. You probably don't win promotion without Matt Ritchie. I think more than any player, Dwight Gale, not far behind, he made the, the biggest difference last season. Uh, I wouldn't lose faith in him just yet. I thought on Saturday, it was strange. He... he his body seemed to give it one and almost. He didn't seem as quick, he didn't seem as sharp. He'd almost lost his head a little bit with, 
his decision making. He just looked like a man who needed to be taken out of the team, be it for, for one game or two game, whether that's a, in terms of a physical rest or a, or a mental kick up the backside. I don't know, but Saturday for me was a performance whereby it, it, it was a, in a day really he hit a, an all time low <laughs> that that uh, the game down at Chelsea. Rafa needs to manage that and start getting the best out of him again. Because he's not a player you write off. He's not a player you you drop in. You you, you say that to. He's someone you've got to coax back to form because he's so important to that team. Moving on to um, the future, yeah, I think Benito said in a press conference recently, and you'll be able to correct me on this if I'm wrong. Um, he wasn't aware of how much money he had to spend in January. Mm. If that's true, then surely we're in a, a very bad place at the moment as a football club. Yeah, he doesn't because that quote was in the context of uh, the uncertainty surrounding the takeover, basically. How much money have you got to spend in January, Rafa? Well, I don't know because I don't know if Mike Ashley's the owner, if Amanda Stevens the owner, or if somebody else is the owner. Uh, how much will he have? Well, he's got a rough idea, and to be honest with you, he has sort of shared this with us off the record, what he thinks it will be with Ashley and what he thinks it would be if the takeover goes through, which is looking unlikely. And it's not a it's it, it's not a great deal of difference. I think they they are uh, bound a little bit by FFP. Uh, so Amanda Stavely cannot come in and give Rafa a hundred million pound. That's just not possible. It doesn't work like that. You're probably talking what if Mike Ashley's there, you've got ten to fifteen million. If it's Amanda Stavely, you've got perhaps double that, twenty to twenty five. Uh, is it enough for me? If, if and I think Rafa's probably thinking along the same sort of lines. You've got to go out and buy goals. You've got to go out and buy goals. Be that a, a number 10 a new winger who scores goals or would create goals or, or probably a centre forward just throw the lot it's someone who's going to come in and make a difference in the final third I think Rafa is good enough to organise what he's got behind that to make them resolute enough he just needs he needs something extra further further up the field uh, regarding the takeover uh, which is probably going to be your next question I'll ask it for you where are we on that uh, it was just a standoff basically between the offer came in, what are we now, Monday night, it was two weeks ago, uh, that the news broke that Amanda Stavey had made an offer uh, short, and it was reported at the time was 300 million, it wasn't 300 million, I can tell you that. It was way short of that. Uh, Mike actually wasn't happy. He didn't like the way the deal was structured, he didn't like the numbers involved, he didn't like the clauses. There was a lot about the deal he didn't like. Now, we didn't reject it per se, he just didn't respond to it, it just wasn't accepted. So it's a case of negotiations are ongoing. And as far as I'm aware, as of, as of sort of yesterday, really, or this morning, the ball is very much back in Amanda Stavely in, in, uh, in her court with PCP. A couple of partners, it's up to them to come back to Mike Ashley with something, what he deems acceptable. Now, is there a clash of personalities here is there a little bit of bad blood's probably the wrong word because they don't know each other well enough but I just think there's a little bit of needle there in terms of how all of this has been played out how the bid was leaked the nature of the of the offer we talked about there the structure of it so all is not as well as it was between the two parties say four or five weeks ago and it was just sort of getting to know you and okay you want to buy my club uh, I want to buy your club you want to sell it let's get together and do this uh, the fact that it's been two weeks without another offer suggests that there is a little bit of a standoff there. The chances of it being done in time for Christmas, I'd say, are almost close to zero now, uh, which then has a massive question mark hanging over the club and uh, the squad and the strength of it going into January and therefore the rest of the season. So, yeah, that is basically where we're at. We're awaiting news of, of another offer. 
very hard to try and second guess or predict Mike Ashley from a fan's point of view or the easiest way of looking at it. The worse we are, the harder we are to sell. The closer we are to the relegation zone, the less the club is worth. Where do you think Mike Ashley stands on that argument? So if we were to be relegated, the, the mm. value of the club halves, if even yeah, more yeah. potentially. So when you, you, know, you say it's an impasse and you say mm. it's, the ball's very much in PCP's court, where does Ashley, in your opinion, come at this like in terms of his willingness to sell the club? Does, does he recognise what I've just said? If it, is it even true that you know a, a quick sale for him because the club is now 15th in the league, five points from mm. the relegation zone, one month, two months' time, that could be completely different, could be four points off 17th place. Do you think he is seeking as quick a sale as PCPR mm. wanting to buy it, or do you think he's playing a long game to try and maximise the value? Well, no, go back to his statement and it answers the question. Mike Ashley wanted the club sold by Christmas, so January wasn't his problem. That's why he didn't want to worry about January. He doesn't want to have to sit down in January and make the calculation of transfer investment versus the possibility of staying up. He doesn't want that. He wants that to be somebody else's problem. That's why he wanted it sold by Christmas. As it turns out, it's a, it's, it's a very real problem for him. It's something he's going to have to consider. Not dissimilar, really, to the scenario we had 12 months ago when he had to weigh up investment versus promotion. Now, he looked at that squad and thought, Rafa's had enough, he's got enough to get them up. Go and do your job, Rafa, you get nothing. As it turns out, Mike Ashley was right. Only just, because there was a little bit of a stutter and it was nervous at times, but Mike Ashley was right. Now, this time, if it doesn't look as though there's going to be a takeover, I think I don't think you can't get away from the fact that that team, that squad, needs investment if it's to survive and if it's to pr- protect the, the cash cow, which is Premier League football, basically. So, so yeah, it's a decision he didn't want to make. It's probably one he will have to make. And I think he will give Rafa money, be that 10, 15, 20 million pounds. He's got to. Do you think the takeovers or speculation is something that's affected the players at all? Because it was around the Bournemouth game, I think, where it really started to intensify quite a lot. Mm. It sort of dragged on a bit, and I think everyone was really optimistic for a bit. And now everyone's sort of getting a bit more pessimistic about it happening. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think so. I think it's just uh, players who aren't aren't very good is too strong. Yeah. But players who aren't brilliant, it's just catching up with them. That's all. It is I don't think the takeover really has had had an effect on it. No, I don't. I think what we're seeing now from uh, from this squad on the pitch is probably everything we feared at the start of the season. After the Huddersfield game, remember in particular, uh, the, the the performance away there was awful, and I think that's pretty much what we're seeing now. You've got this this uh, sort of mirage in the, the the those three or four games where they won and they climbed to sixth, and uh, that was really for me a deviation from the norm. That was uh, overachieving massively, and that was down to to Rafa's organisation. It was down to a little bit of luck. It was down to one or two little moments of inspiration. This probably. Is a true reflection of, of where they are. I don't think takeover talk has really got too much to do with it. It's just it's a, an average, below average Premier League squad which is struggling, and that's probably what we thought they would be. Do you think Rafa is um, clued up in terms of negotiations? Is he kept up to date by either side of what's going on as he is in the dog as much as the rest of us? No, I think he knows. I do think he knows. There's been one or two times when we've been sat with Rafa and he said to us, Guys, what do you know? What do you know? <laughs> and we thought, Yeah, pull the other one, Rafa. He, know, he knows. He knows as much as we do, if not more, uh, definitely. Yeah. But there's, there's people close to Rafa and around about Rafa who've played a, a key part in getting Amanda Stavely sort of to the club. Rafa had the meeting with her in the, the manager's office after uh, the Liverpool game a couple of months ago. So, no, Rafa knows. 
which is why it's quite telling that Rafa seems less confident of it going through, certainly in time for Christmas anyway. Uh, long term, will it go through? I think everyone remains confident that yes, it will do. I think there's, there definitely is a willingness from Steve Lee uh, in the group to buy. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not frauds. I think they do want to buy the football club. I just think they want to get whatever deal is, is best for them. And Mike Ashley, we know, wants to sell it. So if you're asking me, will it be sold? I would say yes. Uh, fingers crossed, let's hope it does, because it, it needs to be, it really does need to move on. Uh, it just won't be done for Christmas. What's been interesting for me is the Amanda Stavely is obviously this key figurehead photogenic person that mm. can be linked to the deal in social media. You know, type in NUFC on Twitter and her picture will come up. But as, a, as fans, we know very little about mm. who's actually buying the club, about who she represents, how much control is she going to have. Obviously, mm. there's been reports and stuff. I'm going to ask you, to, if you know, great, you can tell us or guess. What are the what are the plans for these people? What do these people want to do with Newcastle United, and why do they want to buy Newcastle? No, we don't know. Don't we know. really don't know. Uh, we know that uh, she will be installed as a sort of a figurehead on a day to day basis, uh, the new sort of chairwoman owner slash type. But no, we don't know where the money's coming from. I mean, we've heard. I'm not going to say it sort of on the record because. Uh, we've heard rumours of it being from, from this person or from that person or from this country or that country. Uh, the truth is, no, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what the plans are, whether they want to, to throw millions of pounds at it and compete with the top six or if they just want to keep it ticking over like Mike Ashley did. Listen, it could be worse than Mike Ashley. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, don't forget that. They could, they could want to come in and, and run the club on a shoestring and take out every penny you get from, from TV money and all the rest of it and, and run it as a business. It is an investment fund after all and investment funds by their very nature put money in to, to take money out and make a profit at the end of the day. So, so not to answer your question, no, we don't know. We don't know until a takeover is completed and we, we sit down with, with a man, the saviour, whoever it may be, and we get their intentions on the record. And do you think that... Do you think that Rafa is, you said that he spoke to her in his office, he obviously, is it very much a case of he wants the sale to go through even though he's a little bit in the dark just because anything's got to be better than working on the Mike Ashley? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think he realises that uh, the constraints under Mike Ashley, it, it, it's not going to work for Rafa. If Mike Ashley remains in charge, I think the clock will be ticking on, on Rafa's state at the club, I really do. I think uh, there's too much has gone on there now. January was a disaster. Uh, the final few weeks of the summer window, they didn't sign a player during the final fortnight of the of the transfer window, which, if you'd said that to us in the middle of August, would have been unthinkable, really, the things Rafa uh, was saying to us at the time. So, uh, yeah, I think for Rafa to stay long-term, I think there's got to be a change of ownership. Uh, is there a relationship there between Ashley and Rafa at the minute, or is it just... No, no, no there's not. Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, they're very... Rarely, if at all, talk. Everything is done through Lee Charnley. Uh, there's annoyance from Rafa towards Ashley. There's annoyance from Ashley towards Rafa over the way he sort of conducted a lot of his politics via, via us guys. Uh, Do you have any pressure put on you at all by Ra- Ashley's people? No. no. No, not at all, no. So that's one. That's just a rumour. That's a, mm. you know that Keith Bishop turned up at press conference again. This is rumours. I'm not there. You're yeah, there. Yeah. You can tell, but um, no, Keith Bishop turns up. Yeah, he's, he? he's been there. He hasn't been there the past uh, few weeks. Uh, he's been there before. I've I've had a drink with Keith socially. There's no pressure there. There's no. You can make this. You can't make that. He's very much there, just as Mike Ashley's eyes and ears. Really. Uh, no, there's 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 nothing. Perhaps his presence 
curtails Rafa to to a degree. I, I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's when he's there, he realizes that's a, a direct lane back to Mike. So Rafa isn't as political as he as he sometimes can be. Uh, but no, listen, Rafa's his own man at the end of the day. Keith Bishop, I know Keith Bishop. Rafa knows how he wants to play his things. He, he, he he's a bright man. He's a smart man. We touched on it earlier, didn't we? That, that I trust him as a manager. I like him as a person. I can see why players do. I can see why why supporters do. So, so no, Rafa isn't going to be influenced too much by that. And what you've got to remember is a lot of what Rafa has done and said through the press and in press conferences, on the record, off the record, whatever. But if our previous manager sacked, Mike actually hasn't done this that this time because I think he realises the value of having someone as big and as competent as Rafa Benitez at the, the head of your football club. Very interesting. And I suppose the, as we'll look ahead to the Christmas period in January, you know, you said there maybe a figure of about 10 to 15 million quid obviously you look at Palace in the relegation zone who else is in there Swansea West Ham West Ham you've got to think that probably outspend Newcastle mm. I'd prob- probably I don't know that but you're going to imagine that they, they haven't been relegated recently they'll know as much as anyone mm. the, the value of still in the Premier League how does Rafa keep our heads above water do you think what does he have to do I mean you talked about keeping faith in his methods and mm. the players and it's, it's kind of been worrying that since Christianatsu and Lascelles have dropped out of mm. the team we've dropped points is it very much a case of we're going to be it's going to take a little bit of luck to keep us up or do you think that Rafa's going to find a way whatever happens no I will take look absolutely that that, that squad even when Lascelles and Natsu come back isn't good enough to say right everything's okay now brilliant back to what it was they go on another win and run again that just won't happen uh, he needs to buy goals in January he needs to sort of to to get back to whatever was working at the start of the season, he needs to rediscover that that faith in his own method. At the moment, at the moment, it all just seems a little bit higgledy piggledy. He's trying four four two. He's trying three four three. He's trying four two three one. He's trying Diarm. He's trying Marino. He's trying Aiden. Just get back to what was so horrible about you at the start of the season. Get back to what was so ugly and bloody awful to watch, but was working. Listen, I'll, I'll take an hour of, of, of rubbish, of, of ugliness, if you then go and win 1-0. What I don't like is the, the Bournemouths, the Watford games, it was just all over the place and it wasn't what Rafa stands for, it's not what he's about. So, so one, Rafa needs to, to rediscover what is best and what makes him a brilliant coach. Uh, two, absolutely, you need the likes of Atsu and Lascelles back. A year ago, I never thought we'd, we'd be saying this about Jamal Lascelles, but he actually does make a difference. I think there's a little bit of a a confidence in an aura about him which others in the team necessarily haven't got. Uh, he's another one who thinks he's a better player than he perhaps is, but as I said earlier, that's not necessarily a bad thing in a team which hasn't really got uh, a great deal of belief and character and in, in all the rest of it, those real sort of extrovert, larger-than-life uh, players, which Lascelles has got that, that strut about him really and that can in turn uh, feed with the players. So I think getting Lascelles back is important. Uh, Atsu as well was certainly playing well enough, wasn't he? He, 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 he was doing okay. He was doing uh, doing more than, than Murphy has for me. Uh, do you think Murphy was a mistake, or do you think it's too early to tell? Because such a big listen, percentage was, of our budget went on him. Well, you've took the words out of your mouth. Was he a mistake long term? Is Jacob Murphy a bad player? We don't know. We really don't know. So I'm not going to say that was a mistake. Was he a mistake in the context of the season and the money Rafa had? Yes, he's got to be because. £12 million spent on a guy who was only coming to the team by virtue of injury to a £5 million signing and was keeping out of the team. Well, yeah, that's a mistake because Rafa wasn't in a position to spend £12 million to build for the future. He had to spend £12 million on now. As a result of putting that money into Jacob Murphy, he had to go and 
signed Hosselu for £5 million. Well, why not put the, t- the two together and spend 17 or, or 18 on a centre forward and put, and put goals into your team? Uh, so, listen, Jacob Murphy might one day be a great player for Newcastle United. Let's hope he is. Uh, for now, I think the signing was a mistake. I think he's coming to the team. And although he's done, I don't know what you guys think, I'd be interested to get your thoughts actually because he just. He doesn't look strong enough. He doesn't think he's got enough belief in himself. He doesn't look necessarily quick enough, or that there's just something lacking in his conviction. And he hasn't played badly. Don't he hasn't played badly, but I just don't think the team looks as rigid and as structured with him in it. What, what do you guys think? From what I saw of him at Norwich and playing for the under twenty ones, he would just run at players, and there was just loads of belief. He was fast. He could try and get a shot off. When I've seen him play for us, he sort of starts to run at someone and then I'll check back mm-hmm. or like his shot's going astray and he just looks devastated at it as well. I think he's hit the nail on the head. He just lacks, lacks confidence at the moment. Yeah, confidence. I think I wrote the other day. He lacks confidence. He lacks conviction. Uh, he'll get into the final third and it'll be a sort of speculative cross or a speculative shot. There's no real belief in him himself there to go and score a goal or, or create a goal. It's coming at quite a tough time for the team overall as well, which I don't think has helped. And I, I was a bit confused why we didn't see him for like 10 minute spells when we were doing all right. Really mm-hmm. I don't think he came on that much. Um, I think he's the antithesis of Mark Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Mark Ritchie's been playing badly, but getting results to assist against Watford. Yeah. We, we, we need the Mark Ritchie, like we talked about earlier, we need the Mark Ritchie kind of product, end product, compared to the flashes of Jacob Murphy. And it's, mm-hmm. um, it's worrying that. He's, he's, listen, he's, like you say, he's doing the right thing at Old Trafford when we won the up, he, he has a great chance that he fashions himself mm. and that goes wide. And he was all right in the second half, but we're not a good enough team to accommodate, to accommodate yeah. players being all right in the second half. We need yeah, yeah. players to be making an impact. And yeah, I, Newcastle fans are a tough, tough audience to put yourself out in front of as well when it's not going well, and I don't think that's helped. But he's the total opposite of, and this is a guy we haven't seen enough of, in my opinion, Rolando Ahrens, who yeah. seems totally fearless. Mm. Every time he plays Newcastle, he just he'll go out people, he'll, he'll try things, he doesn't get his head down. Yeah. It's um, curious, he started against Fulham in the Championship, but ever since he's been fit, Rafa doesn't seem to fancy him too much. I yeah. don't understand why that is. I think it's a sort of, I think with Rolando, it's a tactical, disciplined side of things, it's an understanding of the game. Rolando is very much an individual, and it's, a, it's a great point you make that Rolando doesn't want for belief or confidence, he thinks he's the best player in the world, but. Not, I've said this three times now, but it's not a bad thing. I, I agree with you. I would play Rolando uh, ahead of Jacob Murphy. I just think it gives you that jack in the box, something, something different, something unpredictable, which, which this team in the final third needs. Jacob Murphy just sort of conforms to the. He gets so far, he checks back and give it to somebody else. There's no Hosselu as well. Hosselu's almost scared to shoot uh, yeah. on, on on current form, really. Whereas Rolando Aaron's will try something different. I probably would play him ahead of Murphy, absolutely. I think that just about does it as the large party coming behind that. <laughs> so, Craig, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Cheers, guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.